the Askell Send Bytes podcast with Margaret Mulholland. Good morning, everybody. Uh, delighted to speak to you today. And I'm very, very pleased to be joined by Professor Barry Carpenter. I have known Barry for a long time now and really enjoyed working with him, but learning from him um, in relation to special educational needs in particular. Um, Barry has been a long time head teacher in the SEN and mainstream sector but also a real advocate champion of special educational needs and how we support young people to thrive um, in their school life and beyond. And today we're really going to put a lens, Barry, aren't we, on um, not just special educational needs and the impact of the pandemic um, and young people and how they've been affected, but also um, particularly a sort of lens on their well-being uh, in relation to um coming back and re-engaging with the curriculum so welcome barry and thank you for being with us nice to be with you Margaret. so i'm going to ask you to just tell us a little bit about your um connection with well-being and mental health because i know you've you've got a history there of um experiences and expertise and then really to talk about the resources that you've been developing in relation to that um to share with schools Thank you, Margaret. Um, as you've said, my background has been predominantly throughout my career, special educational needs in, in various forms from class teacher, head teacher, as you said, um, through to national director when I was at the DfE running the Complex Learning Difficulties and Disabilities Project. And then latterly, as an academic, and, and the last post that I have held there has been as professor of mental health in education. So I'm still that teacher. I've not gone to the psychiatrists, but there's a lot of, for me, a lot of translational research about what do they know in psychiatry and psychology that we need to know? How do we get that in teacher talk? How do we take that that forward? Um, and so latterly, I've been really privileged to be invited to become trustee and board member for ACAM, which is our national association for um, adolescents um, uh, and child mental health. Um, and it's a wonderful organization. It's predominantly psychiatrists. I'm one of the first teachers ever to be on that board, and it's an interesting conversation. But they have committed to a schools project, knowing that schools are facing the most significant mental health crisis we've ever seen in our children and young people. And I applaud that initiative from them and the moral purpose behind that. And I applaud their honesty because they would say, um, yes, we've got interventions, we've got medications, we've got clinics, but we cannot give the sustained intervention, sustained support. Psychiatrist I was talking to you yesterday just said, it's the very fact you can do social interaction. So the child that seems isolated or in a low mood and down, you know, you can chivvy them to go and sit with a couple of other friends, or even you can structure activities, learning activities in your classroom where that child is put into a, a social interaction setting. And actually, when you thought about it, yes, we can. And they can't do that interviewing an individual child with its parents in a clinic. Mm. So I, I just want teachers to realise there is power in their hands. And, and you and I know from, from our deep involvement in this sector, we do have the power to transform lives. We do meet those young people, Margaret, do we not, that we've taught um, and their learning difficulties were significant and quite life impeding at times, but mm -hmm. they triumph and have really high quality 
lives. And um, so this is a very timely piece of work and resources are being produced that are going online and that are free. And uh, these are webinars, are they, Barry? Yeah. These are, these are webinars, Margaret. And um, so what we just finished are four Ask the Expert sessions. And why they, they call that is, you know, what can a psychiatrist give to us as, as teachers? They can, if they get the language right, give us some knowledge transfer. So the, the what's framing that webinar series, and there's more to come, and there's more dimensions of that to come, um, what's framing it is the new relationships, sex and health education curriculum from the DfE, which of course became statutory, let's remind ourselves, for all schools from last September. If it's statutory, therefore it will be inspected by Ofsted. And what I find is great willingness in teachers to want to know more because they know, they see their children, they know what the needs are. But um, if you take, for example, one of the topics we've recently covered is sleep. Now you and I could probably go into a classroom tomorrow and pitch up and teach something about sleep, but it'd be based, frankly, on spurious anecdote and the fact we all sleep. Mm. Um, you know, what do we know about REM sleep? What do we know about sleep hygiene? What's a sleep diet? You know, I learned this whole new language by listening to that webinar. So there was that knowledge transfer. Um, the the ACHEM board will now review the initial uh, evaluation from that work and we've six more webinars planned. But I mentioned there's not there's a knowledge transfer that then doesn't tell us and what do we do with it in the classroom. So we have just established a partnership with the Chartered College of Teaching and they are going to develop 10 parallel webinars so for each topic, they're developing parallel webinars, which are about pedagogy in practice. So at the end of all of this, we'll have a kind of compendium of 20 webinars on 10 RSHE related topics. One giving you the knowledge, again, so um, anxiety is another one we've just completed. We'll yeah. have knowledge, the cutting edge knowledge from Professor Cathy Creswell, Professor of Clinical Psychology at Oxford, whose major research area is anxiety. We'll have that going with a webinar from Charter College on, so how do you put any of that into practice? What are school systems you need? How about the school environment? What, what do you teach? What resources are there? So there will be a wealth of information to hand for colleagues, all driven by RSHE, but even more so driven by the fact that we have this high level of mental health need in our children and young being and uh, young people and I know that's something you'd like to unpack further. Yes I was really interested in that um, the notion of ask the expert first we'll, we'll just uh, tap into a little bit because I was wondering I've no doubt at all that that school leaders and teachers are keen to know more feel more confident about the support they can offer for sleep, for anxiety, and I think the screen time as well, isn't there in there? Do you think those would be um, webinars that are suitable to share with parents as well? In order uh, that... Yeah, um, the answer to that is, I think, broadly, yes. I always say, providing the teachers watch it first and they know, therefore, what a parent may come back to them to want to discuss, yeah. Yeah. then yes. But there's a one tangible example of that, Margaret, that... When we did the, the sleep webinar, in the chat, the, there was a constant theme from teachers of, um, we get asked this a lot from parents, parents are coming to us now more than ever. Yes. And we do have evidence from the pandemic 
uh, that the population sleep has become erratic at times, but we do have clear evidence now from children that their sleep patterns have been disturbed. That could be through lack of physical activity, lack of social interaction and brain stimulation, the, the causal basis of whatever, but we do have factual evidence. And um, so we've just prepared now in response to those questions, we've uh, put together um, sleep guidelines that teachers could use with parents. So we're trying to be as responsive as possible. Those are about to be published in The Bridge and The Bridge is the ACAM journal that would be the equivalent of some of our evidence-based pieces that we have in education. Yes. Uh, Nason's Connect uh, mm -hmm. magazine and that that sort of thing and probably some publications that Askell put out as well. And so it's a very accessible one. But what the bridge is allowing us to do is that can be posted on other websites. So I will send you that article. Great. For you to put on Askell's website, because we should perhaps say, Margaret, that um, I'm utterly delighted Askell is one of the dissemination partners for this piece of work. And that's fantastic. And what we're thinking um, we will do to support that is to keep adding links to the website next to this podcast so that people can understand the rationale behind the resources. But also, as we update, it'll take people back to the Send Bytes uh, webinar discussion that we're having. And then um, they can look at the new resources that are being added. One of the things I wanted to ask you, Barry, therefore, is, it, you know, I think it's fantastic to know that we've got this core set of four um, webinars. Then we've got the Chartered College, the yes. real sort of in the classroom, pedagogical, relevant yes. support structures, that adaptive teaching that's going to be scaffolded, if you like, in relation to well-being. And I, I think that's phenomenal. And we'd be really excited to support dissemination of those. Um, but I wanted to just hear a little bit from you about, I remember you telling me about the report overshadowed a while back, you know, that whole notion of young people with special educational needs and their well-being and mental health and how we should be viewing that overlap, that comorbidity um, in relation to return to school. Absolutely, absolutely Margaret. And, uh, and I'm glad you raised overshadow because I think we need to um, use your phrase earlier, take an SEND lens on this, and, and but we need almost three lenses. We need to look at what did we know before the pandemic about the mental health and the trends in mental health in children uh, with SEND and young people. Um, what do we have an evidence base for so far within the pandemic? But then what are the emergent trends? There's no point denying those because frankly, we may have to just be responsive and the best that we can be in that moment for that child. We won't always have a secure evidence base. And psychiatry and psychology would say that about their disciplines too. Um, to, um, to just expand that a little bit more and just to reassure those colleagues listening to, to this piece, Margaret, um, as of last week, um, Nason has agreed to serve on the development reference group at Charlton College so that always the SEND voice is there. But at the moment, the general thrust is looking at mental health in the child population, but always within the, the SEND group. So if we take um, the, the study from Oxford led by Professor Cathy Creswell, who I mentioned earlier, is called CoSpace, and her data is very strong. The two groups of children and young people 
that have been impacted but most negatively impacted by this pandemic are actually um, children in socially deprived areas are the most that have been impacted. We know, for example, that um, we know factually, don't we, that domestic abuse uh, increased during the, the pandemic. Um, we know, regardless of the pandemic, that 90% of instances of domestic abuse are witnessed by a child. Mm. And if you're a child with SEMD, what sense have you made of that? And then suddenly you find yourself in a refuge with your mom and or dad and, and very much uh, divorced from your social structures. So we do have that evidence, but within that co-space study as well, the second group that's been most affected are those with SCND. So you can say actually it's vulnerable children, no surprise there, that have been most uh, affected. Um, we we need to think, well, what figures did we know of before the pandemic? And we knew that for every five children with an EHCP in any of our school settings, three would have a mental health issue. Now we don't have an update or a further drill down on that. However, I um, have been back at the DfE as expert advisor during the pandemic and worked a lot with Professor uh, Chitsabizan, Pratiba Chitsabizan, who is the NHS clinical lead on child mental health. And we would suggest that from all of the data trends that have emerged, that figure of four, three in five has to be at least four in five. Yeah. Um, so that's not a secure piece, but we have to know that obviously, if it's an increase in the general child population, there's an increase and taking Kathy Creswell's findings, a pronounced increase in the SEND group. And, and then the other uh, one would be to look at, I talked about emergent trends. Mm. Now, the latest ACAM webinar that completes the four in the trial phase was uh, delivered by Professor uh, Mina Fazel, who is a professor of child psychiatry at Oxford. And Mina has a, a study ongoing called Oxwell, where she is regularly uh, involved with 30,000 students across 180 schools uh, in, in the, you know, from key stage one through to key stage, well, to, to actually year 13. And what is emerging from, from there, and all the time she was saying that it's those children most vulnerable that were the most pronounced in these emergent trends. So again, that can, will include our children with SEND, was that loneliness has emerged now. You know, think of loneliness in society, Margaret. When have we talked about We've often talked about that to do with our elderly people mm. and how you become lonely in old age. Um, we now have 25% of our year 12 students saying they're lonely and 10% of our primary children. Um, but within that loneliness, all children and what the particularly pronounced group were those with SEND were talking about reduced social interaction. Absolutely, yeah. Well, through lockdown, Margaret, there was a, I interviewed a year five child when I was preparing those children's books that I wrote during the lockdown period. And the little guy had a slip of the tongue. Instead of talking about lockdown, he talked about locked in. And I thought, mm -hmm. hang on, you've got it. That is the child's definition of what lockdown felt like. We locked yeah. them in. That is not a natural childhood state. No. Um, so, so loneliness is one trend. The other trend, Margaret, is bullying, which comes as no surprise. Um, again, particularly so for, for our, our vulnerable children. We had in excess of 50% of year nine, 10 children, including those with SEND within the school, saying they did not feel safe in their school, in excess of 50%. And then the other factor is sleep. And we know from, uh, there's an emergent study from uh, King's College on children with autism, 
and the sleep disruption for children with autism, um, it's always a factor, but my goodness, it's become an accelerated factor. So fascinating stats, stats there, really, and the, the thought that actually we, we recognise this, don't we? And just in the day-to-day experiences and from um, conversations within schools on a on a regular basis since we've returned from lockdowns. However, I wonder whether that kind of notion of um, a child with special needs being in a sense, misunderstood in relation to that well-being and mental health um, challenge. Thinking as a teacher that this is the autism, you know, this is this is a nature of the yes. um, of the condition, as opposed to the well-being being targeted for support. And I think, as you've been saying, these resources are intended for universal provision within classrooms and within RE, but also at, with RSE. Sorry, but actually, how do we then build that more targeted support? We need this layer of recognition first and foremost, don't we? But perhaps also that very conscious and deliberate recognition that young people with SEND may well be struggling at a more accelerated sort of rate and level. Absolutely, absolutely, Margaret. And and um, I think what you've led me to quite naturally there is what I've given you are facts that are emerging that we need to know because we need that knowledge. But actually yeah. all the time we've got to say, how does this translate into learning? Yeah. And um, if we take those factors I've reported so far, all of those for our children with SEND, whose learning pathways are often fragile, are often fragmented, mm-hmm. um, is the nature of, of, of what they are and who they are. But we know how to work with those and remove those barriers to learning, etc. But um, what we do need to acknowledge, therefore, is I think for our SEND group of children, certainly what I've written about, is how they're coming back to school disengaged, mm. very much switched off. And it's ridiculous to start with just teaching a curriculum. We need to scaffold again how to learn. Yeah. Don't assume they've still got it because they're not children with wonderful powers of retention. Otherwise, again, they wouldn't be what they are. We need to help them to reestablish those learning pathways. And also, if we look at the neuroscience around any of this, those are our children who will come back to school very anxious. You know, mom and dad, with, our, with all children, but, you know, particularly with the child with SCND who perhaps is, is a little more forgetful and less retentive, they're going to have to say, you have to wash your hands. Where's the hand sanitizer? You know, um, they're going to have to remind them about mask wearing, about the two meter rule. And some of our children probably have learned that very well now. Mm. And you're suddenly telling them to unlearn the two meter rule. Mm. They won't follow your logic. Mm. And I've seen in those classrooms I have been fortunate enough to visit recently. I've often seen what I call children who seem to be participating in the lesson, but are actually sitting there rigid with fear. Yeah. Um, If you ask them what it is they've, they've learned, they won't be able to answer you because what's happened in that fear state is the cortisol level has been released in the brain. The anxiety has pushed that to the surface of the brain and the cortisol has locked, has, has um, blocked the memory capacity within the brain. The anxious child is not a learning child. Absolutely. So one of our first interventions for our CND children will be about our classroom environment, 
about our patterns of interaction. Can they actually learn again? What is a learning style, learning skills that are needed to achieve the tasks in, in that subject or in that primary classroom maybe? Uh, and visit those first of all. I really like that you've taken us there to finish because really it does come back to thinking about, doesn't it, that classroom environment, yes. relationships and yes. that level of creating that safety yes. within the classroom in order that the, the learning can then take place. But all those things, as you said before, um, are part and parcel of the purpose of the school environment the teaching and learning, but just really having to emphasise and being explicit about the need for that um, capacity to learn to be established. Um, so really an exciting focus, if you like, because so pertinent to the needs at the moment. We're delighted to be um, ambassadors for these new um, webinars, and they will be on the website with this podcast. So people will be able to click straight in and we'll also have a generic link right back to the core um, website for the ACAMH. Yes. Um, and that'll allow people to read the blogs, look at the resources, look at the experts uh, and to keep up to date with what's coming out. But we will also be updating all our members as new resources emerge, those that are being collaborated on now with the Chartered College and those um, that are, are developed by your team, we will be making sure that everybody gets hold of those. And there are some excellent free topic guides on there, Margaret, on topics we've not even touched on at the moment, eating disorders, uh, depression and so on. They are written in very plain English, free. Please download them. They're, they're really useful. Fantastic. And I just love this fact that not only are we sharing the expertise um, from this clinical background, but actually that they are um, excited to be putting this into the language of educators as well, which is phenomenal. It's, it's, awesome. truly, it's truly transdisciplinary, which is a, an aspiration you and I have always had, that there shouldn't be boundaries between our disciplines. We need each other to, in order to serve the needs of those vulnerable children and those particularly with special educational needs and disabilities. Professor Barry Carpenter, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, really insightful and helpful as ever. Thank you, Barry. Thank you. The Askel Send Bites podcast with Margaret Mulholland.